we're going we're gonna to go ahead and get started. How about stand with me tonight as we open up? Uh, we're just delighted. Thank you for being with us online tonight. And uh, we're just excited that, uh, what a beautiful day. Again, this is why we live in Texas for these two weeks and then, and then we're good. Uh, or two days, I mean, who, <laughs> hey, just hang on, Friday's coming. Um, anyway, let's open up in prayer. Anybody with a prayer request, you'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you. Uh, uh, again, we, we want to continue praying for those that are in uh, harm's way there in Europe. Uh, with the Ukrainian situation. I know they've been trying to do some uh, uh, peace talks or ceasefire talks and things like that. Um, you know what? May God help us to rest in his comfort that only God can take tragedy and turn something around and bring something triumphant out of it. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of conversations this week with people that just random I'd see in, at the store, at the gym or something like that, and they would say, what do you think about and I'm like, you know, here's what Jesus said. These things must take place. You know, I mean, as hard as it is for us to comprehend, Jesus said these things must take place. And so we defer to him who is all wise and all knowing and knows the beginning from the end. So uh, uh, continue to pray for those in the church family that are uh, needing a touch from the Lord. God's well able. And, uh, and we release that to him. Father, we just thank you tonight, Lord, just to be able to come together on this midweek service and to study your word. Lord, thank you for all the ministries that are taking place tonight. And I pray that in all of these uh, gatherings that you would be exalted above all things. Father, I pray that as we, uh, as we do open up tonight, we pray for the needs of this body, those that raise their hand and Lord, those that are among our church family that are, uh, Lord, that are struggling. I pray for those that need a healing touch. I pray, Father, for those that are online tonight that uh, just need comfort and need peace. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, uh, Lord, we have no need of fear. Lord, you've not given us a spirit of fear. I know there's a lot around to, to, to make us uh, maybe anxious a little bit, Lord. I just pray that uh, tonight we recognize that you've not given us that spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Father, I pray for those that need that healing tonight. Bring healing. I pray for those that need that encouragement, that you would uphold them with your powerful right hand. And I pray, Father, that you would take charge, Lord. Thank you for just knowing that you're in control. I pray for the uh, situation there in, in Europe, uh, Ukraine. Uh, Lord, we, we appreciate all the agencies that are on the ground right now ministering to those uh, refugees, Convoy of Hope, Samaritan's Purse, many others that are there. Lord, we just pray that you would use the, this opportunity that many people would be swept into the kingdom uh, during this time. Lord, and I just pray we'll be, this, be with us in our study. Uh, Lord, we pray for revival for our land. Let it begin right here with us. We just commit this time and service to you right now. Thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus um, 20 once again. And while you're turning there, just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, don't forget tomorrow is our food distribution program. Uh, we actually get to do it tomorrow. Uh, we're not seeing any sub-freezing temperatures, and so we're going to be able to, and, and I really anticipate, you know, with the way prices have just kind of just gone through the roof, um, I, I really anticipate that the need's going to grow tremendously. Uh, I was able to secure some other product, uh, not just with the normal distribution, but I uh, will be picking up some additional items that we can help uh, distribute and, and, and bless. Uh, we have food for 200 families, so uh, you can meet here at 930 or you can meet down there at 10. Uh, we'll get the pallets and get those broken down and ready to distribute at 11. Uh, also, uh, again, I know there's several things that are coming up. Please uh, make note of those. Uh, most notably, probably, is going to be the business celebration. Um, is going to be on the 20th after the 1045 service. It's potluck, soup, and salad uh, we have lunch, and then we'll have our uh, meeting shortly after that. Uh, we have the golf tournament coming up. We have our men's ministry event. Uh, there's a lot of things going on, but I do want to just park it here for a moment and talk about Friend Day. We, we, uh, we've not really had been able to do Friend Day for a couple of years. Uh, this, uh, I think three years ago, uh, COVID hit, and then we didn't have it. Uh, so we're, we're excited to do it again. It's always been a very fruitful time for us, and the fruitful part of it is because we do our diligence to bring people in, to invite friends to come in. We're doing the illustrated sermon, The Bridge, 
um, and it's a simple gospel message. Uh, I think there are people that are searching today. Uh, they're trying to make sense of everything that's going on. And the only way you can make sense of what's happening in our world today is through the lens of Christ. And that's what this is a, a, about. It's about helping people who are searching to find answers. Uh, and, and so we're doing that on, I keep saying the 9th, and I, I apologize. I don't know why the 9th got stuck in my head, but it's the 10th. April the 10th is our uh, friend day, and we'll be doing that drama. The early service doesn't allow time. Uh, we don't have the time to uh, to. Uh, do the drama in the 8.30 service. My, I apologize for that, but time constraints, we wouldn't be able to do it. So I'll preach in the 8.30 service, and then we'll do the drama in the 10.45 service. I thought about just having one combined service, but I thought, well, there might be people that have things to do, and uh, and and so we'll I'll, we'll just go on with a normal service in the 8.30 service, do the drama in the 10.45. On Easter Sunday, uh, we'll, we'll have both services I, we talked about doing it outside again, but we're not. We're gonna we're gonna meet here inside, and then after the ten forty five, we're gonna have our helicopter egg drop uh, for the kids to go out. And he still won't let me repel, so I won't be doing that. I'll just be dropping eggs out of the helicopter. But uh, uh, anyway, just just a lot of things. I'm excited uh, with 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 just ministry. Uh, we're seeing new couples come in. I'm praying that God would raise up leaders and ministries that we are yet to do, and, and I still believe that our community. Uh, there's a lot of things we could be doing to impact our community, and uh, I'm excited about this year. So anyway, let's get right into it tonight. We're 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 almost to the end. Um, we're on the ninth commandment out of ten, <laughs> so there's only one more to go. And uh, the next series that I'll start in a few weeks, uh, or a couple weeks, I should say. I'm not really sure the dates, uh, uh, but I'm going to be doing a series, probably about a six eight week series, uh, entitled. Uh, strength and weakness, and and I've never really tackled this book before, but I'm going to study uh, the Corinthian letter, um, and, and I think Corinthians is a, it talks about uh, how in our weakness, he's strong, and so uh, that's going to be our next uh, study that we'll start uh, towards the end of the month, but anyway, let's get right into our word tonight. We're talking about God's top 10, and tonight the, the ninth commandment is truth, truth. Verse 16 simply says that you shall not bear false witness against whom? Against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness. One translation says you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Again, just to, uh, as I say every time, the, the Ten Commandments are the foundational principles upon which we can build our lives to live. Now, Again, we live, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, we live in a cynical age, and in that cynicism, we recognize that truth is in short supply. Uh, truth is a rare commodity, it seems like, in these days. In fact, I, I read a poll, you know, with the election cycle. A recent poll showed that most people uh, don't believe that our leaders are telling us the truth. I don't know what it would give them that idea, but anyway, <laughs> uh, most most. People don't believe that our leaders are telling the truth. And, and, and that's not a partisan thing, okay? It's really not a partisan thing because, uh, you know, we should expect more. I, I, maybe I'm old school, but I think we should expect more of our leaders regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. I, I think they, you know, we, we ought to hold them accountable for being people of truth. You know, we become so accustomed to lies that uh, many simply excuse it as just a normal part of life. And I don't know about you, but that bothers me. You know, that's one thing that just curls my skin is, you know, the Bible says let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And yet we have leaders today that will look you eyeball to eyeball and lie in your face and not bat an eye about it. And so that's where the ninth commandment comes in. This is where it comes in because, again, it simply says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Truth is, a, again, is a scarce commodity in these modern times, but it does not alleviate the admonition that you and I as children of God are to be people that speak truth. That if we're going to talk, let our words edify and build up, but let them be words of truth. I mean, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about telling the truth. I, here's just a few samplings. Psalm 12 verse 22 says, Everyone lies to his neighbor, their flattering lips speak with deception. Proverbs 6, uh, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, 
seven are, that are detestable to him, a lying tongue, a false witness who pours out lies. Proverbs 14.5 says, a truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Colossians 3, 6, uh, 3, 9. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. In other words, this is who you used to be, but you've taken that off and you've put on a new man, so quit telling lies to other people. And in Revelation 21, 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars will find their place in the fiery lake that burns with sulfur. That's it. So I think it's pretty clear that uh, God wants us to be truth people, people of the truth, people that talk, speak the truth. Um, so let's break this down a little bit. So, okay, what does it mean to tell the truth? I mean, what does this command, commandment really forbid? What's forbidden by this commandment? Well, let me just give you a few things that, that kind of, that, that I think this commandment entails. Number one would be perjury. Perjury. You say, what's perjury? Perjury is lying under oath. It's lying under oath, and I think it's the most basic issue that's in view here when we start talking about the ninth commandment. Um, you know, there, there, it's, it's, I know it's, it grieves us to think this is a major issue, but it is a major issue that we should t- lie under oath. I mean, it's wrong. We all know it's wrong, but we see our leaders do, do it so often that, again, I think it kind of desensitizes us to the truth, it, and, and it no longer is a big issue to us. You know, it's kind of, it's always been interesting to see how, since I said something about politicians, it's always been interesting to me to see, you know, with the advent of the cameras, you know, now everybody has one of these in their pocket, and they're, they're, they're going to record you. So those words that you speak are going to live on in the cyber space where, you know, I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand all of that, but it's out in the cyber world somewhere, and down the road, somebody's going to remind you. You're going to get up and start talking about one thing that may totally contradict what you said earlier, and it's always been interesting to watch politicians in particular that get, get caught in that pickle where they're like, well, I never said anything like that, and then they pull a video out, and they play a video of them saying exactly what they said they didn't say, you know? Um, and it's always interesting to me to hear them spin it <laughs> on how to get out of that, that they're telling the opposite story. You know, William, William Barclay, who, who uh, has written several things, he, he, he listed several scriptures from the Old Testament that, that really highlighted how the Jews feared and hated this crime. They feared it because it brought the judgment of God. They hated this crime. He also pointed out in Matthew 26 that false witnesses, again, think about what happened to Jesus. False witnesses were used in that chumped up, the chumped-up charges of Jesus. It was false witnesses that did that. The men uh, who refused to give evidence, he, he states this. This is what he said. The, men who, the man who refuses to give evidence when he has evidence to give is condemned as severely as the man who gives false evidence. The sin of silence is as real as the sin of speech. That's what William Barclay says. He goes on, and here's what he says. He said, the Jewish law was so arranged that a witness was compelled to think of his responsibility for the truth. Jewish thought hated false witnesses. Jewish law condemned false witnesses. And Jewish regulations did everything to make a witness hesitant to tell anything but the truth. Again, it was a major deal. Uh, Deuteronomy 19. Uh, you can go back and read it, but Deuteronomy 19 basically prescribes that if a man gives a false testimony in court, that he would be punished with the same punishment, same penalty that the guilty party would be uh, issued. Think about that. The same penalty, the same payment. Uh, the rest of the people, and here's what the scripture says, the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such an evil thing be done among you. In other words, God's saying, look, if somebody gets up there and gives false testimony and it's found out it's false testimony, then they get the same judgment, the same penalty as the one that's found guilty, and it's to be done 
as a deterrent so that no one else will ever be audacious enough to get up and do the same thing that they did. You know, that's part of the, the penal system. It's part of the punishment is that it is a reminder that you just can't get away with doing evil things, that there's a price to be paid. And when we start letting off criminal, I, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping on a bandwagon, I'm sorry. But when we start going soft on crime and criminals, uh, we're basically taking away a deterrent that God says, may this be a reminder of people not to do this stuff anymore. So per- perjury is one. How about this one, a direct lie? What's a direct lie? Well, it's deliberate. It is a lie that is deliberate and premeditated. It's kind of like the, uh, you remember when Jacob um, deceived his father? You know, he, he pretended to be his brother, right? Put, those, put the skin on his arms, and, and, and his dad was, was blind, couldn't see, and so he put his skin on his arm, and he, did, he pretended to be Esau. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a direct lie. How about this one, a subjective lie? Well, this is an interesting one. Um, basically, what a subjective lie is, is that when we arrange the facts in such a way that even though we're not directly lying to someone, we are allowing them to believe things that are not true. That's subjective. You know, we're trying to arrange things to make it seem like we're telling the truth and we're allowing people to believe things that we know is not right. A, a perfect example of this, how about, how about the story of Joseph? Remember what happened with Joseph? They get him out there and, and they're going to kill him. They put him down in a pit and, and then all of a sudden the Midianites come along and they said, hey, why don't we sell him as a slave? So they pull him out of the pit. What do they do next? They take his coat of many colors they kill one of the animals and they smear blood on that coat. And then they take it home to dad and uh, they allow Jacob to come to the false conclusion that his beloved son, Joseph, had been killed, been mauled by wild animals. That's what that is right there. That's what that is right there, subjective. How about this one? Again, just like I did last week, I mean, some of these things, I mean, you start thinking about how all of this ties together. How about uh, silence? Here's what I mean by that. Silence, keeping quiet is a lie if we know that the truth is out there. In, in other words, uh, if, if by not testifying, I either allow an innocent party to be wrongly convicted or I allow a guilty party to wrongly be set free, that is a form of lying. Leviticus 5.1 says that the person remaining silent will be held responsible for his silence. In other words, if I know, if somebody is is being charged with something and I have facts to offset that, to disprove that, and I don't say anything, he said that's a violation of the ninth commandment. And according to Leviticus chapter 5 verse 1, I'll be held responsible for my silence. Keeping silent when we should speak up is something that God does not overlook. How about slander? Slander. You know, last week I talked about gossip taking away, stealing someone's reputation, stealing their character. Well, slander is making false accusations against another person. Again, it's lying. It's trying to get somebody to believe something that's not true. Uh, Case in point, Potiphar or Mrs. Potiphar. What did she do? Well, she tried to, you know, raise the accusation that, that, uh, that Joseph had raped her. Again, and it, I mean, you think about it, it's a, it's a pretty violent form of lying because, it, it, uh, again, when you think about it, it usually passes on gossip, rumor, and innuendo. That's what this lie does. Romans 8, uh, excuse me, Romans 1, 29 says that slander, if you go back and look at Romans 1, which is how Paul said this is what the judgment of God looks like. In Romans 1, 29, he said that slander is one of the marks of a depraved lifestyle. That when I become very loose with my lips, that is a form, that, that is a pretty good mark of, hey, there's a depravity there. It's an outward mark of a life that does not know God. And boy, when was the last time we heard, you know, sermons that people talk about being accountable for your speech? And I'm not talking about just verbal speech. What about sitting behind that desktop, uh, you know, with a, with, a, with a keyboard? You know, today we, 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 we create avatars. You know, we create online personalities. 
and all of these things, and I like to call them keyboard warriors because there are a lot of people that are brazen behind the keyboard that would probably melt <laughs> in real life. But we're accountable because those are words. When I type a word, that is like me speaking a word. And slander is a form of, of lying. How about this one, flattery? You ever thought about that? The psalmist condemns, go back and read some of the psalms. It condemns those who lie with flattering lips. Flattering lips. Flattery is the, so what is flattery? It is the sin of insincere compliments. That's what flattery is. We call it buttering up (laughs) or kissing up. God hates that because flattery uses the cover of friendship to gain an unfair advantage of somebody else. And boy, don't you see that? You know, tit for tat. What do they call it? Quid pro quo. (laughs) I can't say that real fast. How about this one? Careless exaggeration. Preachers get in trouble with this one. Politicians, car salesmen. (laughs) Uh, It's the sin of over-promising and under-delivering. Over-promising and under-delivering. It's what happens when you promise to deliver something on the 10th knowing full well that you can't get it there before the 18th. Again, we don't think much about that, but but again, I, I think the Scripture is very clear that we need to be responsible for what we say and how we say it. And then, you know, if we're, we should be people of our word. We're to be men and women that are known for their words. I, I've shared with you before about my dad growing up, watching my dad. My dad was the, was the example of a man who lived by his word. I'd watch him many times stick out that hand to shake someone's hand, making a deal that my dad would honor. You know, he would, we would, even if he bid on a, you know, he's a firefighter and then he had a roof and construction business on the side and he would make, um, say, hey, I'll do it for X number of dollars. And I watched my dad many times, you know, once you start taking the roof, the shingles off, guess what? You sometimes find things that you didn't expect to be there. And my dad never would, he never, it would have been within, within reasonable, it would be very reasonable to go back to him and say, hey, we pulled those shingles off and we found some damage we didn't know was there. My dad never did that. My dad always said, son, I gave the man my word. I'm like, yeah, dad, but he said, no buts about it. He said, we shook on that thing. Now, they didn't you know, spit on their hands and do it, but they just, you know, they just did it. They did the deal. I think that's what God expects of us. Be known as a man or a woman who keeps their word. You know, preachers, it's always funny because, you know, we go to these conferences or we go to our, you know, luncheons or whatever, and you, if you hadn't seen somebody in a long time, you know, they kind of cloak it in their language. They'll come, they'll come up to you and say, hey, well, how's the church doing? That's preacher talk for, well, how many are you running now? <laughs> how things going? And, you know, if you heard somebody else's story, you want to you make your story do it well. So you, you kind of embellish it a little bit. That's kind of, that's exaggeration. And that's wrong. You know, how many of you ever heard somebody say that was a, well, that's a preacher story? Anybody ever heard somebody talk like that? That's a preacher story. Doesn't that break your heart? Like preacher stories are fabricated or they're over-exaggerated and they really aren't telling the truth. That's sad. That's sad. Anyway, I, I, I digress. Um, you know, it's kind of like bragging about a car that has features. You, you brag about features that your car doesn't have. Over-exaggeration. And here's the last one. Again, these are just kind of some samplings of areas that really could violate the ninth commandment. How about this one, lying to God? Lying to God. Now, see, this is what happens when we make a promise to God and then we don't keep it. You know, as a, as a teenager in my rebellious years, I can remember many times, I was like, oh, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again. Guess what? He gets me out of it, and I'm doing it again. I was lying to God. Sometimes we talk about foxhole religion. You know, in the heat of the moment, in the crisis of the moment, I make promises. God, I promise you I'll serve you the rest of my life. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll go to, I'll go to Papua New Guinea. I'll go to Africa. You just, and, and, and we have no intent of ever fulfilling that. You know, we just want God to get us out of trouble. Or we decide in a church service, 
you know, hey, I'm going to change my ways when service is over. Listen, I understand. We've, we've had, in, since 1997, we've had over 5,000 people that have, that have walked the aisles down here, filled out decision cards, either for the first time or an act of rededication. You know what? I realize that not every one of them was sincere in, but that's not for me to decide. Not for me at all. But there are people that, in the emotion, so, so on friend day, if we do our job and we get, we get people here, there will be people that will be saved that day. But undoubtedly, there will be people that will respond out of an emotional moment that really, don't, really do, have no plans to change their life. That's lying to God. It's what Ananias and Sapphira did. In Acts chapter 5, when they pretended to give all the money uh, the proceeds from their cell uh, back to God, and they did not do that. They were lying to God. And as a result of that, what happened? They were, they were smitten. They were struck dead in the presence of the congregation. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us that it is better to not make a vow than to break it. It is better not to make a vow than to break it. Um, years ago when I became pastor here, we... Uh, of course, I was bivocational. I worked in the city of Irving, and I would come down here on, on days off when I had the days off. And I remember sitting in my office one day, and two ladies showed up at my, at my, at my door, and they had a document in their hand, and they said, hey, you need to see this. And they laid this document down on my desk. This probably would have been maybe 95, I guess. Laid this document down, and somewhere in the history, the church uh, back in the 80s had made a... Uh, had made an agreement with this particular family for X number of dollars, that almost like a second mortgage. And fast forward 10 years had elapsed. There had been no payments made on it. And they brought it to me, and they said, Preacher, we really need to get something done about this. Well, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I had no idea that it was out there. I, it, was just, it just caught me totally off guard. And uh, so I got the, the board together, and I said, look, guys, the Bible says that God has no part with a fool that makes a vow that doesn't keep it. And I said, there was a commitment made to this family that we need to honor. I said, because in doing so, now we position ourselves to be honored of God. When you honor your word, God honors you. And so we made some arrangements, and we got that thing taken care of. And, and, and I can't put a date to it, but I promise you, shortly after that, this, things begin to turn around incredibly. I, I believe when you start speaking truth, living truth, uh, don't make a vow and, and don't keep it. I understand there were circumstances, extenuating circumstances. I understand that. But it was very important to me as a new pastor that, hey, we need to get this handled so that we can position ourselves in a place of blessing, not in a place of cursing. So why is this sin so terrible? Well, I mean, think about it. What does lying do? It destroys society. It wrecks homes. It splits churches. It fractures families. It poisons every human relationship. Uh, it catarizes our conscience. You know, the Bible talks about the hot iron searing them. That's what lying does. It inoculates us from, from feelings. We, we, we no longer feel anything about it. We're numb. It condemns the soul. So, so what is this commandment? So what, what are the demands of this commandment? Well, I, I think there are three things that we can see uh, in the ninth commandment. Real simple. Truthfulness, this is what it demands of us. Truthfulness in our words, honesty in our relationships, and integrity in our lifestyle. That's what the ninth commandment demands of us. Truthfulness in our words. In other words, if I'm going to say something, let it be true. The second part is honesty in our relationships. Be honest with one another. I mentioned uh, in our New Year's sermon uh, series when we were talking about the unstoppable church. One of the things that made the first church so so formidable was the fact that they were authentic. They took the mask off, and they were real. They were real with one another. They came in, and I think the church ought to be that kind of place. It ought to be a place where people can come in and be honest. And and again, look for God to do something through that. And then, of course, integrity in our lifestyle. Again, let people know when they see that dash on your on your grave marker. Let them know that that dash means something, that here was a man who, or a woman who lived truth and they were people of integrity and people of character. Truthfulness, honesty, integrity. How many know that's a lot easier to 
say it than it is to actually live it. You know, I think, uh, I think truthfulness simply means to end uh, the verbal sloppiness. In the verbal, I, I like that, verbal sloppiness. How often do we run off at the mouth and never think about the consequences of what's said? Never think about how it may reflect on our relationship with Christ. Honest, truthfulness, again, means that I put an end to that sloppy, the, the verbal sloppiness. Honesty means that I, I can't play with people uh, with you know games with people. I can't play games with people implying something to be true that I know is not. And integrity means a life that is open for everyone to see. That's what this ninth commandment's all about. It boils down basically to transparent living. You know the Bible says of the disciples that they took note that they had been with Jesus, and I think that that says it all right there. That if I'm living the way that I need to live, that people will take note that hey, this man belongs to Jesus. This woman belongs to Jesus. Again, not that we float six feet above everybody else. It's just the way that we conduct ourselves. Because, again, there ought to be a difference between those who call themselves believers and those who don't. And it should be a difference that's noteworthy. That's what it, that, that's what it, uh, it means that what you see is what you get, right? No deception, no dishonesty, and no con games. I, I, I read a quote by a guy by the name of Wesley Pippert. He's a UP, he was a UPI correspondent. And here's what he had to say about integrity. I quote, he said, one of the most effective disciplines, and I love what he says, one of the most effective disciplines I know is not to do something that first time. For repetition will come far easier. Not doing something for the first time is a tremendous bore against not doing it later. He goes on and quotes philosopher Cicela Bach who said, it is easy to tell a lie but hard to tell only one. Isn't that good? It's easy to tell a lie, but hard to tell only one. He goes on and says, discipline will help us avoid the guilt that we often experience by dabbling in things we shouldn't. Few things are more important than whether one has a good reputation, a good name. Not all people are outgoing. Not all people are sought after or lovable. But everyone can have integrity. Integrity flows more out of a disciplined character than a daring personality. Isn't that great? Everybody can be a, pe- a person of integrity. Again, it's easy to tell a lie, but hard to tell only one. And, and, and how many know that's a true statement? I mean, think about it. How many of us have ever, have ever lied our way out, tried to lie our way out of trouble? Kind of like Dennis the Menace, you know? And, 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 and the more Dennis talked, the deeper the hole got, right? I mean, he said one thing to Mr. Wilson. He said another thing to his buddies, and something else to his parents, and then guess what? You can't remember which one you said to whom, and you're just all confused. That's what he's talking about. Integrity means saying the same thing all the time. If I tell John something, I tell Scott something, I tell Rondell something, it's all the same. That's integrity. How many of you ever heard this saying? So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. That's it. So an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. And you sow a character, you reap destiny, a destiny. Again, there's, so when you look at it like that, then the truth is there is really no such thing as a little white lie. How many ever heard that phrase before? Well, that's just a little white lie. I mean, it's just a little one. It's kind of like I used to tell my kids, I've shared this with you before, when they would start talking about, well, Dad, it's just a little this, a little that. And I always say, you know what, I'm going to go outside and get some dog, you know, some dog mess, and I'm going to put it in a, the chocolate chip cookies. And I'm not going to do a whole lot. I'm just going to do a little bit, and I'm going to mix it up, and I'm going to bake those cookies. Now, would you eat those cookies? Well, no. Well, why not? It's just a little. Just a little bit. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of how we think about it. There's no such thing as a little little white lie. There is nothing, there is no such thing as socially necessary deception. There's not. Every act, whether good or bad, contributes to a habit which develops our character, which in turn determines our destiny. That's why it's so important that we carry ourselves with dignity and honor and respect. 
Speaking the truth. Uh, now, here's the thing. Speaking the truth is crucial, but it's, it's probably hard, right? And, and I actually believe the hardest truth that you will ever tell is the truth about yourself. The truth about yourself. I mean, the people who dare to tell the truth about themselves are the, pardon me, are the people who tend to get better. Is it painful? <laughs> you, you bet. You bet. Is it scary? Sure it is. Is it easy? Not hardly. Not hardly. You know, one of the things I prayed early on in ministry was, Lord, help me to be transparent. Help me to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, let me, let me be a lesson for others uh, as much as I'm able to because I think it's important. You know, no sense glossing over things. No sense trying to sweep things under the rug. You know, people who swallow the, their fear, endure the pain, and decide to take that hard road of, uh, of, of truth, they're the ones who get better. I mean, think about it. I've, I've seen in my almost 30 years here, I've seen marriages that have been saved by the truth. But I, on the flip side, I've also seen marriages crumble because of deception. I've seen friendships that have blossomed because of truth. But I've seen friendships severed because of deception. Again, so, uh, you know, when someone has the courage to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, again, especially about themselves, they're going to get better. You know, what does the Scripture say? The truth will make you free. But it's going to hurt you first. That's the little caveat to it. The truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. And I think that's why a lot of people struggle with their problems for years because they don't want the pain. They don't want the pain. You know, back in 94, and I don't have time to tell this whole story, but back in 94, uh, we were living in Duncanville. I was working in Irving, and we were pastoring this church, and Sheila and I went through a, a really significant rough patch in, in, in our relationship, in our marriage. And, you know, being the typical male that I was, I had all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one day I got the realization that I didn't know near as much as what I thought I did. And so I had to reach out to one of my, one of my elders in, 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 in uh, Grand Prairie, Texas, and say, hey, I need some help. And I had to be honest. I had to be honest, and it was painful to be honest because, after all, I'm pastoring a church. I ought to know better. I should know better. I should have the answers. Guess what? I didn't. But I had to, I had to man up and, and own that. And listen, the truth will make you free, but it's going to hurt you first. And people don't want to hear that. But if you're, willing to, if you're willing to forge ahead, you're going to get better. Instead, you know, a lot of people today erect these defenses, these mechanisms that deflect truth so it doesn't hit home. That's why you have people that sit in good, fundamental, Bible-believing, teaching churches that hear the truth of God that truly could set them free, but because they've raised up their defenses and they have these mechanisms that when the truth comes out, they deflect it. Oh, he can't be talking about me. Surely he's not talking about me because we don't want to hear it. And they're not any better. They're not any better. So how do we become a truthful person? I'm going to kind of bring this in for a landing here in the next few moments. How do, we, how do we become a person of truth? Well, let me give you three suggestions. I mentioned this earlier, but here's this one. How about practice silence? That's a really nice way of putting it, right? Practice silence. You say, well, how does that help me become a truthful person? Well, Proverbs ten nineteen says it like this. Where words are many... Sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. So in other words, if you run your mouth at some point, you're going to break this commandment. You're going to over-exaggerate something. You're going to slander somebody. You're going to do something. You're going you're to violate this commandment. That's why I said where words are many, sin is not absent. It's not absent. Proverbs eleven twelve says, a man of understanding holds his tongue. I really could have fun with these. I'm not going to spend time on them. 
Proverbs 13.3 adds it like this. He who guards his tongue guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 21.23 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. That's, that's wisdom right there. Keeps himself from calamity. See, so speaking the truth or becoming a person of truth begins with silence. In other words, speak less. And when you speak less, you will speak more truthfully. The more we say, the more, again, the more likely we are to exaggerate, the more likely we are to slander, the more likely we are to mislead or to stretch the truth. You know, we went fishing, we caught... We caught one this big when in reality it was that big. <laughs> and we chalked that up to a fisher's tail. <laughs> hey, I'm, I, every time we go fishing as a bunch of guys, I always catch the biggest one. <laughs> there goes that one. Here's the thing. Modern people, we don't listen well. How many observe that? We don't listen well. Yeah, you ever notice somebody trying to talk to somebody and they're they're like this? I was telling I was telling a guy Monday at the gym we were t- we were we were talking and I said I said man I he was kind of not really bragging he was just trying to talk about just powerful services and I said man I preach every Sunday with the anointing of the Holy Spirit and I said you know how I know he said no how do you know and I said I look out there and I see this glow on everybody's face and he looked at me and I said. Well, really, that's Apple. <laughs> people, don't, people don't listen very well anymore. You know, most people listen to respond today. We, we listen to respond. We don't really listen well. When someone else is talking, we're, we're already trying to figure out what we're going to say next. If you're a husband and wife relationship, listen, guys, let them talk. God's sake, let them talk and don't try to answer. They don't want to answer. They want to talk. <laughs> Remember, you already used your allotment of words up time you get home from work. they just getting started, so let them talk. <laughs> Again, no wonder we don't communicate. The Bible is very clear on this point. The more we speak, the less truth we're going to tell. So if we want to become a, pe- a person that speaks truth, then we got to speak less. Secondly, practice accountability. Accountability. You know, we don't hear a lot, a lot about that anymore. Um, I've already said that if, if unless we, uh, one of the reasons we don't get better is because we're afraid to tell the truth. But quite frankly, we need someone to be accountable to. We need we need ladies that that can be that ladies can go to and and sit there and be real. One of the things I I love about the Wednesday night ladies class over there because we we have some people that come in that have lots of stuff going on, and I'm like, you know what? There's a safe place right over there. What's said there, supposed to stay there. <laughs> you know, and again, I feel even bad saying that. Because I think what happens in the body ought to stay in the body. I think that if somebody comes in and they're hurting and they want to be truthful and open up and said, you know, I did something really boneheaded the other, you know, we ought to say, you know what, that's okay. We've all been boneheads every once in a while. And help them. You know, we're afraid to tell the truth. Afraid to let it out. We're afraid to let it, that if others know the truth about the way we are, then they're not going to love us or accept us. Again, that was another reason I wanted to always be transparent because, listen, i got skeletons. I've got plenty of skeletons in my closet. And, and, and again, that's where that, the, the mindset that my past can either paralyze or motivate, that's where it came from because I have a horrible past. But I refuse to let it paralyze me. Rather, I wanted to motivate me to be a better man than what I was. And for 30 years, I walked that relationship with the Lord, trying to be better than I was yesterday. Just the way it is. You know, so what, what do we do? We construct these, you know, we have these well-constructed masks, pretending to have it all together, playing that religious game, you know, going through all the right motions, never admitting anything, never admitting that inside we're barely holding it together. How many people do we pass on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night and we say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. And the truth is they're not fine. They're not fine. They put on a well-constructed mask. Listen, if you, 
and, and I really believe this principle. If you are truly good friends, you should be able to detect when someone is blowing smoke up your pants leg. You ought to be able to say, hey, you know, tell me, t- come on, level with me. Tell me what's really going on. That's why that community is important. The authentic church the, that I talked about, that's why that's important because I, I need to be able to say, and you need to be able to say, hey, you know, Pastor, I, something's not right. I, I see that. And there are people that discern very well. You know, I'll get notes through sometimes when I'm, things are heavy on me and I'll get a note during the week and say, hey, Pastor, praying for you. It looks like there's something going on with you. You know what that does? That's like a spiritual B12 shot. You're just like, well, you know what? Somebody does care. Somebody is paying attention. You know, good friends can do that. Good friends help other friends find courage to tell the truth. Bill Miller often said it like this, and I thought this was, I've always thought this was a great quote. You're only as sick as your secrets. Isn't that good? You're only as sick as your secrets. See, once we get those dirty secrets out of our closet, then we can start the healing. Then we can start the healing. So speaking truth is made easier in the presence of people that we love and they love us. And the third thing is this. Commit to becoming a person of truth. Commit to becoming a person of truth. Um, Jesus said in John 14, 6, remember he said, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When he stood before Pilate in in, in, in John chapter 18, he declared to Pilate, he said, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. My question is, are we on the side of truth? I like what D.L. Moody said about truth. D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, don't argue about whether or not a stick is crooked. He said, the way to tell is to put a straight stick down next to it. Isn't that good? You know, how many of you go into the lumber store and you, you take that piece of lumber and you, you hold that thing up and you're looking and then you, you put it up against the next one and you, I mean, you can tell. I love that. Don't sit there and argue about whether a, a stick is straight or not. Put it against a straight stick and watch what happens. That's a surefire way of doing it. See, we live, we live in a crooked world. We live in a crooked world. And, 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 uh, Truth is routinely devalued and falsehood is elevated uh, to a way of life. Today, again, uh, nobody thinks much about it anymore. But see, God hasn't called us to go around condemning all the falsehood and dishonesty. All we have to do is tell the truth. And you know what? Dishonesty will be seen for what it really is. I always remember Tom one time talked about um, counterfeit. I remember a conversation I had with, with, with Tom. We were talking about all the cults and stuff out there. And he said, you know, he said, when our uh, treasury people go out looking for counterfeit stuff, they don't go out, they don't study the fakes. They study the real thing. And they learn everything about it. They learn all the nuances and everything that can be learned about that, about the, the currency, so that when there is a fake that comes along, they can readily tell. That's the same thing D.L. Moody said. It's like our job is not to walk around condemning all the falsehoods that are around in our world. Our job is simply to be people of the truth, and the dishonesty is going to reveal itself. See, if we take the ninth commandment seriously, truth will always take care of itself. And then the ninth, uh, the ninth commandment adds this little phrase at the end of it. You shall not give false, uh, false testimony against your neighbor. Isn't that interesting? Does it say don't give false testimony against strangers? Against your neighbor. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that we're most likely to lie to those we know best and love us most. That's pretty painful to hear. We're more apt to tell a lie to people closest to us than we are strangers. Again, this commandment is not directed to people out there, but to people in here, to those who name the name of Christ, those who claim to know the Lord and call ourselves followers of Jesus. That's what the ninth commandment is. We're the ones that need the message. And, of course, as I wrap this up, truth ultimately is in a person. It's not some abstract idea. Truth is a person. That's why Pilate's question when he said, what is truth, 
has echoed throughout the centuries because that's the question that people ask. Truth to him was nothing more than a philosophical proposition, but little did he know that standing right in for him was the embodiment of the truth itself. That's why Jesus said in John 1, 14, that Jesus came to the earth full of grace and truth. To know Jesus is to know truth. To follow Jesus is to follow truth. To believe in Jesus is to believe in truth. And to love Jesus is to love truth. And that's why, as I close tonight, that's why this, this, this commandment is so important. Because what I do and what I say becomes a witness to those around me. And I need to represent them. I need to represent him well by being a man of my word that tells the truth, that speaks the truth. Won't you stand with me tonight? To be that, we have to commit. And, and, and again, it flies in the face of our culture because there was a, a poll done. I don't remember the exact numbers, but there was a, a poll that was taken and it asked, is it ever appropriate to lie in certain circumstances? And the majority of people said it was appropriate in certain circumstances to tell a lie. Well, I beg to differ. The ninth commandment doesn't give us any of those options. It says we need to be people that are committed to the truth. Truth hurts. You know, we live, you know, again, and I don't mean to jump on this, but we live in a, in a culture today that are teaching our children that it's okay to deny who God made you to be. You know, if you don't want to be, if you don't want to be male, you can be a female. If you don't want to be a female, you can be a male. That's lying. That's lying. And, and again, I'm not jumping on, a, on, on a, a political soapbox. I'm just simply saying our culture is built on deception. And it's up to the church to stand up and speak his truth. Because only his truth can set people free. Only his truth can. Only his truth can heal that broken marriage where you know, culture says, you know what, it's okay and it's, it actually enhances marriage to go out and have an extramarital affair when the Bible says one man, one woman, one life. It's truth. Again, we could be here all night talking about that, but that's why it's important. That's why it's important that we are people that speak truth. So I want you to bow with me as we close in prayer. And if you're online tonight, again, I appreciate so much you being with us. And, and I just want to close this way. Uh, I'm just going to ask the question. Again, our culture has promoted lying to the point where it no longer bothers people anymore. But I just want to say, maybe you're here tonight or maybe you're online and say, you know what, Pastor, I want to live as a person of truth. I want to, I want to, I want to draw that line, and I don't want to be sucked in. I know there's some subtleties to the ninth commandment that I, I tried to, to uh, articulate, but I want to be a person of truth. I want to be a person of truth. I want to represent the, the person of of truth, Jesus Christ, in all that I do. If that's you, just slip in, write it right back down. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you now. Thank you so much. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you. Again, as we continue to talk about these, unpack these Ten Commandments, the basic building blocks of our spiritual life. Lord, you expect us to be men and women of truth. That's why you said, let your yes be yes, and your no, let it be no. Lord, James says, with you there is no variableness our shadow of turning. Lord, it means there's nothing hidden. There's nothing uh, deceiving about who you are. Lord, help us to be that same way. Help us to live a transparent life before others. Transparent to the point where when they see us, they take note that we've been with Jesus. Father, I pray that you, uh, each hand that went up and those that are online tonight, Lord, that you would help us. Lord, it, again, it goes against the cultural norms. We've We've set up these societal norms and mores to, to really to, to, to accept lying as a way of life. But, Lord, help us to step up and be people of truth. Help us to represent you in the truth. And I ask you to go with us now. Give us a great night. May we rest well in you. And, Lord, our food distribution tomorrow, Lord, I pray that, Lord, as we go out there in your name, that we give food to those who are hungry and those who are hurting. Lord, may we do so. May we, may we be a ray of light that shines to those that are having tough times right now. And Lord, should you tarry, bring us on Sunday ready to receive from you once again. Lord, I love and I bless each one now in Jesus' mighty name. And well said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.